Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by Matt Fortuna, talking Notre Dame spring practice and a handful of other items as well. Matt, um, I think we're about two weeks out, two and a half weeks out from Notre Dame spring game. Um, I got to give Notre Dame some credit for putting out these three-minute practice videos to (laughs) like kind of throwing red meat to people who have not had football in three and a half months. But um, what... I don't know what what have you sort of taken away from not only those but Brian Kelly's comments. Um, you know, got Brian pulling a little bit yesterday. A handful of players so far, including both quarterbacks uh, who are competing for the job. I don't I don't know if there's been any great revelations from spring ball, but this was a, always going to be an interesting off season. It, it seems like a lot of those storylines are going to continue to be interesting into the summer and even into August. Yeah, he gave us a great name, Brian Pullian, for our podcast. We're going to now be known as Fair Catch Central. Um, <laughs> thanks for joining, Pete and Matt. Uh, it's a weird spring because, like you said, you're still coming off the pandemic. We still don't see anything. You get these three-minute clips that we just you know completely overanalyze, but that's because oh, that's yes. all we have to work with right now. And because there's so much turnover and there's so many injuries right now in so many key spots, so it's a big guessing game. But the, the biggest takeaway for me, um, at least going back to my pre-spring kind of perception of this program versus now as they have, I think six spring practices remaining is Drew Pine. Um, I, I just never really, uh, he was never on my radar as a guy to watch coming into the spring. It was, they brought in Jack Cohn. He's a grad transfer. They only bring in grad transfers at that position if they expect him to start immediately. And by the way, they have, you know, one of the greatest quarterback recruits or, or most talked about quarterback recruits in recent Notre Dame history coming in, in Tyler Buckner, who, uh, despite all the hype and despite enrolling early still has very little football you know, experience under his belt. So um, easy for Pine to get lost when you put it in that context. But um, I don't know if they're just forcing the conversation with some of the clips are putting out there. If Brian Kelly's forcing the conversation, um, but by mentioning him when he's at, when, when he speaks on Saturdays, um, you know, I know you had mentioned, I, I think in a, a article yesterday, like, at some point for the good of this program, you're probably going to have to name a starter just going into uh, off-season workouts and fall practice, uh, d- despite the fact that you want competition to, to, to happen right now. You don't just want to hand the job to a guy walking right in from Wisconsin. But um, the, the fact that we're still talking about Drew Pine to me is – I guess it's a good thing. I mean, I know some people, you know, as with everything with spring, if something's going good, that means something's going bad. I, I don't look at it as, as a downside of Jack Cohn or Tyler Buckner at all, but I am pleasantly surprised to hear that name mentioned so often uh, this late into the game. I am with you on that. I think that the Pine story for, I think, some concerns about him actually beating out Jack Cohn, I don't, well, I don't see that happening. I do think Pine has made a move enough to go from, guy on the roster to if we had to put him in the game, the offense could function. Um, and that's really like the point of his spring practice. It's not as I, I understand Brian Kelly has to say like, you know, we expect Drew to win the job, but really what they need Drew Pine to do is take a jump from scout team, third team to a legit number two. If you look at Ian books, first spring practice, he had a really good spring and good spring game. 
that didn't mean he played very much the, the that coming season, but Notre Dame had enough faith in him by the time that spring ended. They're like, all right, we feel like we have something here. And I, I don't know what expectations there were of Pine outside of, um, you know, kind of keeping it warm for Tyler Buckner, um, you know, sitting behind Jack Cohn. But I think that if Notre Dame can go into the season with no question about who their number two is and how capable their number two is, that is, that's almost as important as like Jack Cohn being the official starter. Um, I think the other thing that, I mean, you referenced this the last time we recorded, is I think Blake Fisher popped up on the, the starting offensive line that day. Now you see Rocco Spindler out there. I don't know of too many um, like legit college football playoff contenders that start two true freshmen on the offensive line, but uh, the way Notre Dame spring is going, it seems like they're going to at least take a shot at that, um, particularly with Fisher, who you know I think we both have heard has been really outstanding, and that, that is not a case of Notre Dame giving him reps just to – get through spring and make him feel like he's engaged. Like he's got a potential to start. Yeah. You know, to go back to your point with, with, with Drew Pine, I mean, you know, you mentioned this in, in your roundup yesterday as well. Uh, that 2017 spring, which was obviously a spring of, of much change after all the, right. the staff hires coming back from four to eight, losing to Sean Kaiser, multi-year starting quarterback. And, you know, Brandon Wimbush had been such a known commodity within the building for so long. It seemed that obviously he was going to be the starter. And I specifically remember Brian Kelly at the end of that spring game saying like our biggest revelation from this spring is we have a number two quarterback. We didn't know what we had in Ian Buck and we know that he's capable and, and, you know, trustworthy to go out there if need be, which obviously ended up being a pretty good premonition. I still wonder, and I don't say this to, to rain on the Drew Pine parade, but do you think there's a timeline here where we get to the point, you know, I, whether it's announced, externally, internally, however they want to go about it. I mean, everyone in that building is going to eventually see at the end of spring or through workouts who's leading this team, and that's going to be Jack Cohn, barring anything unforeseen. Is Buckner so far away that we just got to rule out any chance of him coming in for any other sub package, winning the number two job? I mean, is there going to be a, a point in the calendar year, probably in season, probably won't happen before then, where the race for number two – Drew Pine looks a lot closer to a battle for Tyler Buckner for number two than he does a battle for Jack Cohn for with Jack Cohn for number one. I feel like really all three of them are clear right now. And I, right I now, yes, I just yeah, and I don't, I don't think I don't think that that is really going to change. Um, you know, because just the way Tyler Buckner is being used and watching him, watching the clips that they do put out of him, like he's very much sort of figuring it all out. Um, that. Not a lot of, okay, grip it, rip it. I can read a defense. I can throw it. Um, you know, and he's working against third team guy, essentially guys in his class who should be in high school. So I, I feel like Pine is very solid number two. And that is probably, he's probably going to stay that way during the season. I, to me, Tyler Buckner's freshman season always started a year from now. Um, Right now, he's here. He's learning the offense. He's getting used to being an Notre Dame football player. To me, it's like, let's check back on Tyler Buckner on March 5th, 2022, um, and see what you got. Um, because if Jack Cohn wins the job, as we expect, Drew Pine is the number two, as we expect. That means Tyler Buckner's number three. But if Jack Cohn goes wire to wire. That's not a situation where 
I think Drew Pine is spacing himself out with Buckner. Um, essentially, they're they're even if one is two and one is three, like they're both not playing. Um, they're and I would think that Buckner, if they can get him five, ten snaps during the season, 15, 20 snaps during the season, like they would consider that a success just to like get him acclimated to football. Cause I, I don't think it can be overstated how difficult it was on his development to miss a senior season and only have really one year of high school football and at, at an incredibly low level. I get that he was absurdly productive um, in high school, but in terms of just processing things, playing against higher level of competitions is all totally brand new to him. And that there's going to be a learning curve that goes with that. And like you, that learning curve is okay right now, but once the season starts, like they're, they're trying to figure out how to win games, not accelerate the learning process of Tyler Buckner. Yeah. I, I think these things have a way of sorting themselves out too. I mean, yeah. I, when you say it out loud right now, here in spring of 2021, Tyler Buckner quarterback of the future, number three at Notre Dame right now, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be number three or even number two a year from now. Obviously, Jack Cohn will have moved on um, and, and, you know, probably be a battle between Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner. But, you know, 2012, for example, you know, you've had Dane Chris and Tommy Reese were both playing in 2011. Reese comes back. There's a four-man race. And uh, what do you know, Everett Golson basically ascends from third or fourth all the way up to number one by the end, by the end of – or I should say the start of fall camp. I mean, it, these things just – every season is kind of its own unique organism that, you know, operates in, independently of what happened before. And so I wouldn't look at spending a year as a redshirt third stringer as a lost year for Tyler Buckner, especially when, like you said, you know, he's still very, very raw. The, the pine thing is just such encouraging development. I think, I mean, can you picture this conversation last year or any point in season or preseason as far as like, you know, it's easy to look back now and say it, but like, can you imagine what the hell this program would have done if Ian Buck went down? Like there was just, Oh, what, what, Not, what, yeah, what was bad. there an option? Like it was just, no, I mean, that's they, and that was a rare uh, situation it, or maybe not rare, but it was not common under Brian Kelly that your opening day starter is also your closing day starter with no breaks in between. That has happened a few times uh, recently. Um, I'm trying, but you know, outside, Not, I mean, Reese 13 is probably Re the only one. Reese 13, book um, 20. 19, 19 and 20, yeah. 19 and 20. So it's like you've had back-to-back -back years where that's happened. And like, but I mean, let's let's be clear. Book book took some shots. Um, I think his toughness will sort of be underrated um, in the long view after after Notre Dame. But I, I just sort of view, you know, what they've got there this year is it's a more – it's a more stable position now than it was last year after number one, where they feel like the, the they, room is healthier. Yeah, yeah. The room is healthier. The starter is not as good, but the room is healthier. Um, you know, they've got things in order. And I think that not that you would, if you're Tommy Reese, you would ever make a decision under these terms, but like, let's say, let's just say for hypothetical sake, Drew Pine beat out Jack Cohn. What does your quarterback room look like at that point? Um, you have a grad transfer who's here who's not playing and a advertised superstar freshman who is now that now distance is growing between him and the starting quarterback. Like that would be sort of a strange bit of scenario too. So I just think if you go 
Cone one, Pine two, Buckner three. That's a good place to be this season. I don't know how Brendan Clark fits into that um, as all those quarterbacks are sort of practicing and developing and moving on right now, but it's, um, it's a good place to be, but I, I, as interesting as that is, the idea of Notre Dame starting two true freshmen on the offensive line is unprecedented in my time covering them. They have not had starting one is <laughs> yeah. I mean, they haven't had a true, a true freshman start on the offensive line in 15 years. Uh, on, opening, Young, on opening day, on opening day, correct. Yeah. Sam Young was the last one to do it. Uh, after him, Trevor Robinson did it. Steve Elmer did it, and then Robert Hainsey did it once, but. For all intents and purposes, he was a he was a sort of a half starter uh, during his freshman year. But that line had fifth year senior Mike McGlinchey, Quentin Nelson, Sam Mustafer, and Alex Bars, and he was rotating with Tommy Kramer. This line is totally rebuilt uh, with one starter returning who's not even practicing right now, and Jared Patterson. So it's um, that is a big big ask for Jeff Quinn that I think is going to be kind of a sneaky storyline that it's going to be tough for Notre Dame to manage throughout the course of the season. All right. Because all we can do is guess and predict and have fun. Do you think Notre Dame will have two fresh, true freshman starters at Florida state the night before Labor Day? On the no. line? At some point during the season? Yes. Yeah, probably that. But I mean, I don't. I do think have, they'll have you, one. You, I, I think they'll have one too. Do you have a projected I, starting five? I think that Blake Fisher will start at left tackle, Jared Ooh. Patterson will start at right tackle. Wow. Okay. Um, Zeke Carell's at center, uh, despite what Brian Kelly said on Saturday, <laughs> that his job is not locked up because I think Zeke Carell is too good of a player and it really doesn't fit at other positions. Um, guards, one will be Josh Lug, and I think for opening night at least, uh, Dylan Gibbons will be the fifth starter. I have the same five as you, except I got uh, Patterson at left, Fisher at right. I Which just- could – could be. I just don't I, – I think that the sort of left-right is – you know, we're not in the blindsided uh, Michael Orr era anymore. Like, I think it just, like, tackles our tackles now. No, but we're not in the lucky lefty Malik Zaire era uh, either. Um, I just – everything we just said about the significance of one true freshman, two true freshman, opening day, freshman year, whenever it is, I just think that spotlight and that, that uh, target, if you will – is magnified, at least nationally speaking, when you put that position at left tackle instead of right, especially when the only starter coming back is there and available oh, to go yeah. at left. I, would, I mean, I just – I get it. Um, but, I mean, as long as our colleague Andy Staples is calling the Florida State defense uh, like he did in the Seminole spring game for a minute, I'd, I'd like Tommy Are you doing the same with Marcus Freeman? No, you know, I haven't, I haven't got that email yet. No, um, no, one, no one's reached out to me. I, I'm going to have to settle for coaching the South Bend Seahawks first-grade flag football team. Our first practice is on Sunday coming up, so – well, future right. updates on the Shamrock. You, Coach D, and the rest of the coaches in the press box, so yes. the peanut gallery can. Uh, I will set up a Zoom after practice for any media that wants to interview our players. Um, I'll, I'll plenty to say as well as head coach. So, it. Um, I. I just think the offensive line. If I mean, if you sort of ranked positions that I feel more comfortable, or less comfortable with halfway through spring, I would say the offensive line is less. Um, not because Blake Fisher may not be great, but he, or Rocco Spindler may not be great, but the idea of two, two freshmen starting on the offensive line, 
essentially guarantees some pretty big growing pains. Um, you know, I, I do think wide receiver, I like a little bit more now than I did when spring started uh, because of Braden Lindsay seemingly getting it into gear a little bit. Secondary, I think I like a little bit less because mm-hmm. um, I just, I have not seen a major move there, but, I, but you know, linebacker defensive line, I think are, are in good shape, tight end running back are in good shape. And then quarterback, as we talked about at the top of the show, I think that we both like more now than probably when spring started. Do you like Formula One, but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. I'm there with you on the offensive line. I mean, I understand that anytime you hear those words, true freshman coming in and out, you know, that, that could be cause for concern, especially coming off the great year Notre Dame had up front in, in 2020. But you know, again, when your best player's out, when, when your only proven guy really is out, I think a lot of this is mixing and matching. I think there's a lot of experimenting. I think they have a lot of bodies. I mean, even, you know, we had the same starting five when we just, you know, took our shot and guess who would be there against Florida State. But They've got some quality backups, or at least guys who I think are quality backups who should be to get on the field this year. Um, and but they're recruiting really, really well at the position. I mean, uh, you know, it probably doesn't speak as highly of your juniors and seniors if they're losing out to freshmen, but it does speak highly of your freshmen. And I don't think there will be two true freshmen starting opening day. I think there will be probably one, but I think, you know, if you look at that depth chart, could have two true freshmen backups you know, on the second team who are ready and, and can come on moments notice. I think almost all those guys, again, you know, we mentioned the same five and we had two of them at different positions. These guys are very flexible. Um, and that's, that is a good thing, but I think we, we can tend to overthink it, especially in the spring when one guy's out and it's not as simple as just replacing a like for like of that position. And you got to scramble things up and see who can fit where and so forth. Yeah. And I mean, look, if Blake Fisher wins the job, Probably that means he beat out Tosh Baker, who has also who has played about ten more snaps than Blake Fisher has in college. Um, you know, both were top fifty prospects. Both are incredibly raw and young uh, in developing. But you know, well, I think that sort of goes back to what you're saying. I, I, I do think some of the the younger players, Tosh Baker, Michael Carmody in the sophomore class, Spindler and Fisher in the freshman class. It's just interesting to watch them seemingly move ahead of juniors um, after three weeks of spring ball or, or one week of spring ball in some cases. Um, I think long-term, that's a positive. Uh, for Florida State on Labor Day weekend, it's probably a negative. Um, but that will be, I don't know, that, that, that'll be an interesting situation for them to, to figure out. I do think in a really... A, one position that I think is really worth mentioning is the defensive line. I think they're much deeper there than I would have anticipated. Um, you know, the Adam Milola twins, Jordan Botello, uh, Isaiah Foskey, I think Riley Mills, 
Howard Cross. They've, I think they will have third team interior defensive linemen that would be as good as starters on some previous Brian Kelly era teams. Um, so I, I think that that position has been recruited well and developed well. And, you know, if they can get Myron Tagovailoa Mosa to, to play that big end position for Marcus Freeman, I think that up front, maybe, maybe the secondary and some of the concerns they have there could be alleviated just because while they are, they may be rebuilding on the offensive line. Maybe they're not quite reloading on the defensive line, but they're much closer to that concept. I think on the inside, absolutely. Um, I mean, they are very deep there. Um, Kurt Heinrich coming back for another year. Um, you know, Myron Tagovailoa, Amosa uh, for a fifth year. That that's a guy I, I, I want to keep an eye on. As far as like you said, is he going to play in or out? Because if he has the flexibility to go out, I just think that creates so many more opportunities for younger guys on in the interior to come up and get more playing time and to possibly patch up any holes outside of Isaiah Foskey where. I don't know if they're deep enough at defensive end just yet to, to really feel comfortable talking about that unit as an overall plus as a whole. But but inside, I mean, that, that that's a really good unit. I mean, that's a really strong unit. I, I There are too many Brian Kelly teams that I think I could say, at least from the outside of the spring, you know, in the last 10 or 11 years, where I feel very good about what they got bringing back inside like that. Yeah, it really it really should allow them to do some things with, with MTA on the outside. I mean, he's played outside all spring. I personally think he's looked good in the highlights that we've seen. Um, again, you know, kind of a zero sum game in spring ball. Does that mean he's really good or the tackles are bad? I don't know, but it, um, I think there, that will be an interesting storyline to develop, but I, I think the way he's flashed so far is, is one of the reasons uh, in addition to that interior depth where I feel better about the defensive line today than maybe I did on March 1st. Um, Marcus Freeman I mean, it's, it, he's sort of the spring practice story, but we have not had any access to Marcus Freeman. Um, we'll get, I think, a couple more defensive players over this weekend on Saturday, but I don't, I don't know if you've sort of watched the videos. It, I feel like his sort of practice demeanor is not quite as rah-rah as you would have thought. Um, sounds a, a, a pretty measured pretty calm, but I do think it's interesting when you see him sort of interact with the entire roster, you know, when he's talking to Michael Mayer in, in practices, um, I don't know. He, he just, he comes across as probably more Clark Lee than I was expecting. Well, you mentioned this, uh, when we were off here, he went on a podcast, a real podcast. That's really called make defense great again <laughs> earlier this spring. Um, kudos to them for that name and for getting Marcus Freeman on their show. And, you know, one of the things he talked about was, you know, how no one's going to outwork him in recruiting. Yes. And that was what he was kind of advertised as coming in. Um, and let me put it this way. When your men's basketball coach, who may or may not be on the hot seat, talks about reinventing himself by going out and getting myself a Marcus Freeman, as he did a story with our friend Tim O'Malley last week. Uh, I think that speaks enough to the guy's reputation as both a recruiter and a defense coordinator. Um, that he's been there for only three months and the men's basketball program is already kind of looking at him as uh, life support for, for that program right now, as far as finding a like for like uh, on that staff. I mean, I'll be interested to hear what he has to say. I think he speaks a week from today, um, next Wednesday, uh, see him on the field you know, on the spring game, May 1st, uh, which by the way, as much as we're picking apart these three minute videos as little as we have to work off, I almost feel bad for whoever is going to not have an A game 
at the blue goal game on <laughs> May 1st because that is going to, I mean, God bless Phil at Dracovic. People are still talking about how bad he looked in that spring game two years ago when it was a freaking spring game. And that was the biggest body of work that anyone had to judge him off. I feel like that's going to be magnified for oh, yeah. um, whoever doesn't perform up to par uh, two Saturdays from now because, you know, the the antsiness of the fan base, of the media, of everyone trying to see these guys in live action for the first time in, in months uh, because of all the, the hype or lack thereof or, or everything we're inferring from from the little we have out there to work off. Um, we, we could have a whole podcast. We could have a whole all-star team of like spring all-stars who ended up either leaving the program or not doing all that much and vice versa, guys who came out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> this this 2021 spring season of Notre Dame is like the perfect cocktail of <laughs> – just letting that thing just explode in one direction or another after the spring game. I can't oh, wait for that podcast. That is going to be something like some, I feel bad for the offensive linemen because like they're going to get skewered in that game. Um, because I think that just one Notre Dame's defensive line is better than its offensive line. Notre Dame's defensive line is not missing its best player and only returning starter. a la Jared Patterson. Um, and no, it's, pretty easy to turn a uh, Jordan Botello whip of Tosh Baker off the edge into like a, a quick Twitter video. And nobody seems to really care nearly as much when there's a, a run block going the other way for a five yard gain, but, no, but, um, no, but no one cares if the quarterback's not getting hit and he's not going to get hit in the spring game. Yes. Although, I mean, Phil Jakovic, did he take 12 sacks in the spring game three years ago? I, I can't remember what the, got to give him a chance to uh, test that mobility. Woo. Um, but yeah, right. Is, it's going to be a brutally over analysis uh, analysis. Is that a word? Um, analyzed, analyzed. Yeah. Exhibition. Too much so, and I think that we will be spending a lot of time on our, on the podcast after that game, trying to talk people down for the ledge or not have them jump off buildings about what they're seeing. The first next step, Brian Kelly. Good yep. job. But like, well, let's just uh, announce here. I believe Pete Sampson finished last in the athletics <laughs> bracket challenge. I know that was over a week ago. I don't want to dwell on the past, but thank you. Uh, his bracket name for inquiring Notre Dame fans was first next step, which yep. apparently means finishing whatever it was, 40 the, out of 40. Yeah, the, I don't think I was much better. But The second time those three words turned into a dud uh, for me <laughs> this calendar year. Um, ESPN, FPI, I don't know how much time we want to spend on this, but Notre Dame was 11th in a metric that no one really understands. I worked uh, for ESPN for six years, Pete, and I have no freaking clue what it okay. means, so go on. Mississippi State was 8th. And what Iowa State, I think, was fourth or fifth. Well, you would have had him first or second. Well, yeah, I mean, Matt Campbell, <laughs> obviously. But um, I think if we want to say what's interesting about it, if there is anything, Wisconsin is the only Notre Dame opponent that is ranked at all at 15th. No uh, US, Carolina's no, there. Oh, yeah, I forget they get Carolina. Yeah, but no Cincinnati, no USC, obviously no Stanford. Um, it was kind of one of those snapshots of, of Notre Dame's schedule. And I can't quite tell if it's difficult or easy. Um, it's it's a confusing schedule because I feel like there's a lot of – there's no great team on there, but there are a lot of potentially really good teams. And Notre Dame may be one of them. So when really good teams play really good teams, one obviously has to lose. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it changes sort of your opinion of Notre Dame's schedule at all. The FBI does not at all. Okay. Uh, that's what you're asking. <laughs> that was uh, kind of what I was asking. 
It's, I mean, you mentioned this year's story, like at some point that streak against unranked opponents or streak as a favored team is going to end. Or streak at home. Does the streak at home is going to end. Um, Does that happen this year? Probably. I mean, it's, it's hard to sit here and talk about this team the way we just did for the last 20 minutes or so, as, as far as all the questions we have about them and say, all right, they're going to win every game next year. When if you put out the lines right now, I think they'd be favored in every game, except maybe Wisconsin. Even then I think they might be favored at a neutral site there. I, I don't know. Um, but being in the ACC last year, despite playing Clemson once in the regular season was, as we've said a million times, an objectively easier schedule. I mean, I don't think Brian Kelly, if he had Clemson on this year's schedule, could start talking about Clemson on November 7th, three weeks before the game, while they're on the road at another team, the way he did last year. He was able to do that because... Even if the results were the same. Even if, even if they... Were, exactly. Even if the results were the same. Because Louisville or, you know, a game like that. Duke, Pitt, you name it. I mean, um, that team knew it was about... They knew the personnel they had. They knew the personnel that was in the rest of the ACC, and they knew they were an objectively better team than everyone except maybe Clemson, who they ended up beating the first time around um, in the regular season. I don't know if you can take that approach with a schedule like this one, um, even without the number one team in the nation on your schedule. I think this is a more difficult schedule because there are more landmines week to week, whether it's Wisconsin, whether it's Cincinnati, who I'm sure is going to have a chip on their shoulder, um, against, well, their old head coach, Brian Kelly, um, not that anyone on that current roster cares about it, and the uh, their former defense coordinator, Marcus Freeman, um, and Mike Mickens, and you know, Chad Bowden, and you know everyone else who's gone over from Cincinnati to, to Notre Dame. Um, North Carolina, really disappointing last year <laughs> um, as far as, you know, that was a popular upset pick, and I don't know if I ever thought Notre Dame was in danger of losing that game, but I thought it could be a game that could trick them up, trip them up, and give them some trouble. And that was, you know, frankly, for my money, Notre Dame's most thoroughly impressive performance from, you know, start to finish uh, in 2020. Another year of Sam Howell, another year under the Mac Brown regime, another year of a really good recruiting class coming in. Will they be better? Probably. Is that enough to win at Notre Dame Stadium where it will probably be close to a packed house, if not a packed house? I don't know. Um, I think a lot of that's going to depend on, you know, how do some of those question marks we mentioned at the top of the show develop throughout the course of the season for Notre Dame? So, you know, maybe Stanford, USC, again, Notre Dame's going to be favored in all those games probably, but we've all seen how difficult those games can be, even in quote-unquote down years for some of those programs because of the familiarity within those rosters and because of, you know, the personnel of some of those rosters. I mean, USC, you know, still has a really good roster and is coming off a year where they uh, – lost the Pac-12, they lost, I think, one game. I mean, I know it was a six-game season, but, you know, they got to the Pac-12 title game and were in position to win it at the end. So uh, they're, they're just very few games. I mean, maybe Toledo, which is, you know, a higher-end MAC program where you can really completely sleep on, I think, if you're Notre Dame. And that's a big ask for a team that's not going to be as old or as developed or as mature as last year's team, where you had a three-year starter, a quarterback. You had multi-year captains uh, on that team. You're just not going to have that this year. And so I think you're going to learn a lot more early about where this team is, you know, independent of their FPI projection of 8.3 wins and 3.7 losses, which I guess is possible. I mean, I think that this year's schedule, if I had to summarize how I feel about it, 
I feel like they they don't play a Clemson, obviously, but I feel like they play last year's version of North Carolina six times. Mm-hmm. And if they played that version of North Carolina six times, I don't think they would go six and zero. Um, you know, they play a lot of teams good enough to get them. Um, you know, I, I think of Virginia Tech two years ago or Virginia two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Notre Dame was losing both of those games at some point, I believe, and in the second half. Um, you know, eventually you're not going to pull that out. Um, and having a, a new offensive line, potentially with two true freshmen, having a new quarterback, regardless of who it is, uh, having a secondary that has a lot of questions to answer. Um, I think those are all formulas for either allowing pressure that turns into a big play or giving up a big play in in the past game yourself. So it's it's kind of one of those schedules where like if if you're a Notre Dame fan, you're like, well, show me the loss. Well, I can't. I think the, I, I agree with what you're saying, Matt. I think Notre Dame will probably be favored in every game. I just think they're going to have multiple games in the fourth quarter that are very, very tight. And it's, it's hard to keep not busting on that. It's, you know, it's hard to like hit on a, hit on a 12 and never get a face card. Um, And I think at at some point, you know, Notre Dame will probably bust on that. And look, that's fine. That's college football. Like Notre Dame has no, (laughs) no patented formula on beating every unranked team they play or winning every home game that they play. They just are on very good runs in both departments, but you know, at some point that's going to end and that's fine. And I, I think overall, like, I think we would both agree, like, look, if, if you, if you said Notre Dame finished 10 and two, they went to a new year six bowl against a, a power five opponent go, I think pretty much everyone around Notre Dame would sign up for that. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, you say that right now. Yes. Again, in the moment you think differently, the way things play out, you know, it's easy to think of what could have been. I mean, let me put it this way. 2019, they're in a New Year's Six Bowl in any other year, probably, with the way things lined up as far as uh, not being in a conference and a four or five loss Virginia team getting that Orange Bowl bid ahead of Notre Dame. Um, but I don't know if anyone came out of that season and could completely wash away the bad taste of just a no show at Michigan. You know, so I mean, yeah. Notre Dame goes 10 and 2 and loses to Wisconsin 41 10. I, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I'm just. I don't even know how possible, but go on. I don't either, but I didn't think losing to Jim Harbaugh's team by that much was possible either. Um, Yes, I agree with the premise of your your question. I just think in the moment and seeing how things play out um, and wondering what could have been, um, you know, hindsight, it's a lot easier to pick that apart and say, you know, well, they didn't show up to this game. They had a bad day this game. Mm -hmm. What if they did this, this, and this? For what it's worth, and again, I don't know if it's worth much, Notre Dame was 11th in that FPI projection, however, or in that FPI, whatever power index. If you resort it by uh, percentages, um, chance to make playoff Notre Dame is at 10.5%, which brings them up to eighth. Um, They're at 2.9% to make the national championship game and 0.9% to win it all. Um, And I think that it's all pretty standard stuff. I mean, I don't know if they're, Paths of playoffs easier or harder, frankly, right now. Not being or being independent, probably a little bit harder, but tend to think these projections tend to think they're a little bit easier. Yeah. Well, I mean, this year at least, it is it is a schedule that they probably have to look at it and be like 11 and one may not, it's not going to cut it this year. No, I mean, there's no, 
And they got in last year at 11 1 because they beat number one. Yeah. And they were able to afford another loss, whether it's yeah, Clemson again just, or someone else. I think you just sort of look at the other games like Georgia Clemson. You would think the winner of that is probably making it. Um, or at least they would have the 11 and 1 argument over somebody like Notre Dame. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, it's, so, it's all who you beat. And, right. You know. yeah, I think that the playoff era has proven like if you have a marquee win, either you go undefeated or you have a win that people describe as like, that was maybe the best win in college football. Like the best loss in college football is not cutting it. Um, And Notre Dame is not going to have a chance to have the best win or the best loss this year because of the schedule that they play. So it's, it's okay. They more than make up for that in 2022. Right. I mean, look, it's a, it's a 12, it's a 12 and 0. If you're in 11 and one, you're not, that's fine. Notre Dame. We've both talked about this a bunch on this podcast. That's a deal they've made with themselves. They're totally comfortable with it. If it comes with independence and it does. So they'll take that and roll with it. Um, I think the the last bit of news outside of Notre Dame, the transfer one-time exception seems to be finally getting to the end game here where that will happen this fall. And so I, I'm interested in your opinion, if you think it, it is a positive or negative for Notre Dame, I have a pretty strong feeling that it's one of the two. Uh. I don't know if you, did you just see Jeff Goodman's tweet that come, came across as you were saying this? I did not. He said, I've been told the NCAA is going to track IP addresses for those in the portal and come down hard on the coaches who have given their passwords to not coaches. So I'm about to hop off this podcast right here and <laughs> change my email address. No. Um, is it good for Notre Dame? Is it bad? For a program like Notre Dame, I mean, overall, it's good. Like, I, I, you know, I'm all for player empowerment. That doesn't mean every single transfer is going to be a good one. That doesn't mean every single player is always going to be in the right when they get into a dispute with their head coach. Uh, but yes, I think it's a good thing. I think it's way overdue um, when you make these waivers on a case-by-case basis. Jack Swarbrick has said this. Others have said it. Um, it just does no one any good. It basically comes down to who has the best lawyers, the best defense system, and whoever wants to tell the best story, which may not always be the truth. It could just be a story they've seen told elsewhere that granted them eligibility. And they said, that's the way to go it. And, you know, reputations get left in its wake. So yes, the NCAA has put itself in this position where they pretty much have to do this. And that's going to be that. Uh, is it good or bad for Notre Dame? I hate to say blanket one way or another, because there are always ways to make this work to your advantage. But I do think at a place where, it's a little bit harder academically. Freshmen traditionally haven't made as big of an impact as they have elsewhere. Um, and you need to be a lot more uh, targeted and specific with who you're bringing in as a fit. I mean, again, Jack Cohn, that just doesn't happen at a place like Notre Dame all that much at that position where you get a quick fix like that. I'm inclined to say it's not great for Notre Dame. But again, I don't think it's I'm hesitant to say it's it's definitively one way or the other because I think they can use this to their advantage in certain ways. I I am on the opposite side of that. I, I think it's a really good development for Notre Dame is a is the way the program operates, assuming they sort of devote personnel to managing it. Um, because I I do think a lot of there are a lot of good college football players out there who, yeah, when they get to college, they all think they're going to be first round picks. Um, when you come to terms with that, that not being a eventuality, like that not happening and you're going to have to start preparing for life after football because football is mm-hmm. going to go on. Then in that case, I think that Notre Dame will be a very attractive transfer destination. Um, assuming your academics are in order. Like I, I think that you could probably find more Nick McLeod, um, Cody Riggs, 
you know, are you, are you going to, are you going to get a future NFL first day, second day pick? Probably not. But I do think that Notre Dame will be an attractive destination for guys who still want to play in the league. Uh, but also know that they better have something else um, that, you know, putting all their eggs in one basket is not, not what they want to do. I also think that it, it will make it a lot easier for Notre Dame to, I, I don't want to use the term process guys who don't fit here, but it will be much easier to leave now. If you came to Notre Dame, it wasn't a good fit for you. Um, you want to be closer to home. You're not playing. Um, and I don't, I don't mean that in the sense you know, probably there will be some instances where a freshman what leaves before they should, you know, air quotes should, because they hadn't have the opportunity yet. But I do, th- I just think that in instances where a guy is not playing and is never going to play, um, that will make it easier for them to depart. You know, and I, you know, I look at the case of Houston Griffith, which was kind of strange when he went into the portal based on the opportunity it was there. I, I wonder if there will be, I don't think that the, the change in the transfer rule would have impacted him, but maybe it would that Houston Griffith may have been sort of those one random exception that, you know, when he got beat out last August, maybe he would have departed. I don't, I don't have an answer for that, but there, like you said, there, there will be instances where this breaks against Notre Dame, but I think overall the, the value of the degree here, sort of the the program is really winning a lot of football games and it's done a, a nice job developing guys for the next level. I would, I would think that this would be an attractive place to go if you're a transfer looking for a fresh start somewhere else. I agree that the, the academic minded schools tend to lose less because when things aren't going well for you in one aspect, there's always that degree to fall back on and most people who are smart enough to qualify to get into Notre Dame are smart enough to realize that they don't want to sacrifice right. the potential to get that degree. The other way, I don't know. It's because it's such a unique place. I just don't know if you're, uh, I mean, I look at it as another lever to recruiting. And so, I mean, if Notre Dame's going to mm-hmm. invest in that and dedicate the resources to target individuals who they think are absolute fits for that roster and for that, you know, that, that classroom, that program, Yes, but I mean, how many times have we heard people in that building complain about who they can and can't get in and how hard it is? I mean, they, they go out of their way to make excuses so often that I just don't think – I don't see why it would change with the transfer portal. I mean, most of these guys in coaches' minds, not just their names' minds, but coaches' minds throughout the country, there's still that natural instinct to think he's transferring, something went wrong or something's wrong mm, with him. That's yeah. how coaches think. Eventually, that will change, hopefully – um, but I think when you're already starting with that hunch and you already have a hard enough time getting people in, um, I think you need to work to overcome that. I don't know. I mean, I hope that Notre Dame can and eventually will do it because that's going to be the way of college, the college football world sooner rather than later. But I don't know if they're, they have the appetite for that just yet. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, I don't think this is a game changer for Notre Dame one direction or the mm-hmm. other. I just think right. it's a net positive for them, which I could easily be wrong on. Um, we'll see because it's. I think there will be instances where it is a negative on an individual case by case basis, but I think overall there will be more positives than not. All right. Well, before we wrap up, we'll have we'll be back next week. Uh, certainly a, a post Marcus Freeman media availability podcast at a minimum, um, and obviously we've got spring game coverage after that. But what what are you most interested to see between now? And we'll say the spring game, like what, what are the, 
the stories that you are most interested to sort of read about or, or players to watch in these uh, highlight videos? To, to talk about a position group that we haven't hit on yet, I would say the linebackers and just how they're going to be used in this defense. I mean, there are a lot of guys who have played a lot of football, but there's obviously no Jeremiah Uso Karamo is in there. There's no known game changer in there um, who absolutely has one spot locked down and everything else is going to kind of revolve around him. I, I, I think there's just between Maris Leofau, Shane Simon, uh, you know, Jack Kaiser, Drew White, you name it. There are a lot of guys there who I think are capable of doing a lot of different things. And we've heard, you know, Bo Bauer, we've heard them all talk about how much easier, you know, for lack of a better term, things have been, how much freer, looser they've been on defense. Uh, how does Marcus Freeman and that defense use that to get the most out of this personnel? Because um, I, I just, I, I'm always... I think hindsight's twenty twenty. I think anytime a new a coach leaves for better or for worse, you hear about how different things are with the new guy, and that all sounds great in the spring. But you know, did Clark Lee run his defense to serve his personnel and get the absolute most out of them, which I think he did, or did he do that because that's the system and that's the way he coaches, and there's no no ifs ands or buts about it, or both, um, or both, right? Um, so I, I, I'm just curious to see how these guys get used, how many of these guys get used and, you know, how much we can ascertain from spring ball, what things will look like in the fall. Yeah. I'm with you on that. It's, you know, one, this will be a spring game only question that you could get answered. And even then the answer is going to be partial is like, where does Reese take the offense next? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, when Brian Kelly gets up there and talks about, Hey, it's about scoring points and being explosive offensively. And then you look at the personnel coming back and you're like, well, wait a minute, how is that going to happen? Um, but that's the charge for Reese. I think that, you know, I don't want to say there's a ton of pressure on him, but I do think, I think it's more of a big opportunity for him to stretch himself as a coach, a young coach who's, who's growing into that position. Uh, I, you know, whether it be personnel or play calls, um, how Reese and where Reese takes the offense to me is, is totally fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot more open-ended. I mean, last year there was a tried and true formula with the personnel he had at his disposal to play a physical ground first approach, mostly mistake-free, be limited with your shots downfield because of what you had at receiver. Now there's, it's wide open as far as the number of different ways he can go with this. And so I'm curious to see, you know, what happens there as well. Definitely. All right. We'll be back next week um, to talk about Marcus Freeman. I don't think he'll be joining the show like uh, make defense great again, but if uh, (laughs) he should be insightful. If we change it to fair catch central, would he come on? (laughs) I think we could have a regular, maybe we could get uh, Salerno to come on as a a regular guest or call up John Goodman. Um, Could be a good, good podcast (laughs) guest. We'll see. But until then, John uh, Goodman would be a great podcast guest. He's excellent. I love John Goodman. Uh, all right. Well, until next week, he's Matt Fortuna. I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for being with us on the latest episode of The Shamrock. Mm-hmm.